a couple of Sundays left here, so um, we um, have a have a new theme that we'll kick into, I think, when we uh, when we move. But over the last couple of weeks, we've just been trying to hear the Lord. It's probably been a little bit more um, just some of the prophetic, if you like, uh, unctions that we're feeling, that we're sensing, and we've wanted to share them with you. Um, and it's been a wonderful to watch and listen and witness Do you respond to those. So um, I just want to stay on that sort of tune this morning, but we're going to do something slightly different this morning in that we're going to hear from a few people within um, the church uh, to um, share a little bit about what God's doing in them, saying to them, um, and uh, as a kind of symbol of what he's doing right around the whole um, the whole church. <coughs> but, <coughs> excuse me, suffice to say, it's been, it's been a wonderful start to the year together as a church. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the last two or three weeks praying, seeking God, fasting, um, worshiping together. It's been it, it it really has been one of my favorite starts to a year as a church kind of body, and um, uh, I love it when God starts to uh, stir hunger in a in a place or a bunch a, a, amongst a bunch of people. When you when you get the mingling of hunger and humility together, you know that something's happening in the atmosphere. Because heaven is drawn, I think, to those kind of ingredients, hunger and humility. And um, it feels to me that uh, the, the holy kind of discomfort that God is provoking and agitating us with is uh, a really beautiful thing. It doesn't make for the necessary comfort that we want in the normal sense of the word. <clears throat> but it shows us that God takes our prayers really, really serious, that God is interested in the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray. And I think he looks at our hearts and goes, there's hearts that I can partner with. And therefore, what seems sometimes uncomfortable to us is really the Holy Spirit um, answering our prayers and stirring our hearts and not allowing us to get distracted by the kind of normal everyday things of life. And um, I think God is doing something in that regard. And as I said last week, some of us are in that, <coughs> excuse me, liminal space or in the in-between. God is disrupting some categories that we have maybe placed him in. And uh, and God always likes to break out of the boxes that we try to put him in. Yeah. And he likes to disrupt us with an intrusion of his grace and his love that leads us into the deeper things that he wants us to do. Because a God of love will not allow us, cannot allow us to settle for a diminished form of that love. He can't, he can't allow us to settle for something that's less than his perfect love. Um, although we will settle for it if we choose, because if it's love, it will never coerce, it will never force, it will never, um, it will never manipulate your will, it, uh, but it will pursue and it will rest, and it will hover, and it is relentless. But ultimately, we have to make a choice whether we want to move with that. But in the midst of that, he's calling for our trust. He's calling for our wholehearted allegiance to him. He's calling for us, uh, as I said last week, he's inviting us into a place where he can show us more of the love that he has for us. And, uh, and that's why it's important that we understand when the Bible says the word believe, it's not the way we have kind of reduced it. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you know, for us in, in Northern Ireland and many other parts of the world has become, you know, come to some kind of mental ascent, believe the doctrine and you're in. But Jesus didn't really mean that when he said about believe, he was talking about 
And when Paul, I think, uses the word faith and believe, so he's talking about wholehearted trust. He's talking about putting our whole being in the hands of God and trusting him with our lives and choosing to submit the rest of our lives to his lordship. And in doing that, surrender all that we are to him. And so in all of that, it was really beautiful last week to witness so many of us kind of responding to a literal kind of altar call um, where God, it, it would seem, was calling us to surrender in this season of our life, not just the flesh and the stuff that we need to deal with, but even the very promises of God, surrender them in this season of our life so that we can embrace the promise giver even more than the promise, so that we can embrace his love. And so as the weeks have gone on, I just feel like it's important for us not to take for granted what God's doing. And uh, I could could kind of just crack on here and preach another sermon or something this morning, but I don't want to do that because I feel like sometimes we just need to take stock of what the Spirit's doing. And, um, and, and we need to realize that he's doing, I think, here's something special in our hearts. And he's doing something deep amongst us. I think he's baptizing us into his love all over again. I think he's immersing us in our gospel identity as sons and daughters. I think he's trying to remind us that he's not that as interested in our doing that, you know, as, he, as he is in being sons and daughters. I think he's trying to teach us how to um, love one another more and more. I think he's trying to wean us off our striving and our performing and our understandings of what success are in order to just be sons and daughters and to live out of a place of sonship and to live out of a place of daughterhood and to be okay with that, whatever that might mean. Um, uh, I think he is inviting us to drink from a deeper well and captivating us with the beauty of who Jesus is all over again. He is the vision. He, he is the vision. The vision really is Jesus. And so it also follows if God is fathering us in these ways that the way he does this is in family. The context that God does the work of transformation is in the family of God. And so he's wanting us to learn how to love one another, as I said, to, to, uh, to realize because we're sons and daughters of the king, then we're brothers and sisters. And you God doesn't really seem to do one without the other. He doesn't seem to love us into sonship without setting us in a family. And so that's why when people come up with theologies for why they don't need to go to church, it's just completely unbiblical. Yeah, it's completely unbiblical. And it's, um, it's just a masquerade for a whole other host of different reasons. Because, you know, the, the reality, the truth, I think, from the Bible is like, you know, we need each other. And uh, I actually don't think, you know, as much as God wants to make us whole in ourselves, I think he actually, in another way, keeps us slightly diminished because we weren't supposed to do it on our own. And we weren't supposed to ever think that we could do it on our own. But God sets us lonely in families, as the Bible tells us. And so God uh, wants us to be um, a loving, a loving family. And... uh, (laughs) We're, you know, the fruit of what, what happens in and through us it will only come as a result of the love that we have for one another. And so <clears throat> I just I don't want to take that for granted. Um, and I want us to be a people. And when I say I, I mean like the, the leadership we. We want, we want to be a people that discern what the Spirit is doing. Because yeah. as the Spirit does new things and deeper things, it's important that we leave room for our minds to be renewed. Uh, I've kind of been doing this sort of thing for most of my adult life, right? And one thing I have noticed is, you know, 
even on my even on the best days where the preacher does a good job, <coughs> right, or a half decent job, <laughs> like by Tuesday you've usually forgotten it, right? Because well, for a start, you can't remember that much of a 30, 40-minute talk. You know, nobody can. It's been well-proven scientifically. But secondly, we've just got stuff going on in our lives, don't we? And we're find, we find ourselves in places and situations tomorrow that, that that's kind of demand our attention and stuff like that. And so sometimes it's really, really, really helpful to let our minds and our mindsets get caught up and renewed with what the Holy Spirit's doing um, so that we can be of one mind together Um as we move forward into the things that God has for us in the future. And it's important that we become people who live into the freedom that God has for us. And that's a really, really important thing. I think God is, is setting some of us free. But <clears throat> for those of us who are a bit older in life, maybe, and for those of us who work with people who maybe struggle with addictions or behavioral patterns or things like that, we will know that no matter how free and how hopeful the sound of freedom is, the reality is sometimes what's familiar just seems easier. Okay. Sometimes just what's familiar seems easier. And if you if you think that's not very biblical, you just have to look right throughout the story of God, but particularly the children of Israel. That God brings these slaves out of Egypt into through through a, a Red Sea, like just incredibly miraculous moment in the history of the world. <laughs> and they cheer and they shout and they sing and it's like the Lord is my strength and the Lord is my song. Miriam does a kind of dance with her tambourine or whatever it is and they sing this big song and then it takes them two or three days before, if you don't mind me using a good old Northern Ireland term, they, don't, they, they just start bitching and they, they bitch to Moses and then Moses has to take that to God and, uh, and God has to speak to Moses through to the people through Moses because what they say is, wouldn't it just been easier if we could go back? At least, at least we had our food. And what happened? It's really, really sad actually. Forty years that generation, and they didn't get to live into their inheritance. They missed it. God wanted to make them a promised people, and they just couldn't couldn't get there. Their mindsets never caught up with their new reality. And so my, my kind of challenge this this morning as we listen to some stories of what God's doing is I think God wants to change the reality for some of us. Now, that might not be like angels ascending and descending, like, you know, on ladders in some big, massive kind of Hollywood kind of way. But it might be a noticing a gradual changing in who you are and who you're becoming. And the enemy wants you to... Uh, limit that and to just uh, <clears throat> kind of diminish what it has done in you and through you. But God wants you to push further into who he is calling you to be to fulfill the destiny that he has in your life. And in order to do that, we need to be a people that encourage one another and start to maybe change the way we speak, the way we think, slowly but surely. And all this kind of could be wrapped up, couldn't it, in that verse in Romans 12, isn't it? That, um, that we wouldn't be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed, how? By the renewing of our minds. <clears throat> because God wants to show us his glory. 
In Exodus chapter 16, it tells us when the children of Israel, I listened to this just something during the week, and it really triggered this in my mind when it was some of the things I was thinking about for this morning, because I've never actually fully noticed this before. But this is just after the children of Israel come through the Red Sea. They've sung that song of victory and celebration, and now they've started to complain and to grumble about the fact that they're not going to have any food. And this is what it says. Then Moses told Aaron, said to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Who knew that the glory of God is in the desert? How many times have we kind of walked through from some stuff? How many of us at the moment feel we're in that liminal space where we're just looking into a big desert and we're not quite sure what's there? Isn't it good news to know that when we turn around and we look into the desert, the glory of the Lord, the goodness of God, right there. And the challenge to us this morning is, will you trust it? Or will you grumble for what you knew before? That's kind of the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge to me at the moment. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. We're kind of peering into a bit of a desert, don't we? Aren't we as a church? Not really kind of totally sure <laughs> what's going to happen next. Isn't it refreshing to know that as we look, we can see the glory of the Lord. And what did the glory of the Lord look like? It, I'm, <clears throat> I'm sure it was a, a cloud, and so there was the glory cloud that we all lo love and long for, but it was very, very practical. It was bread, and it was meat. It was provision. It was sustenance. It was everything that they needed and more for that season that they were entering into. And uh, <clears throat> I want to encourage you this morning, if personally, but together corporately, as we look into the deserts of our life, if we choose to have eyes to see <laughs> the glory of the Lord, and the glory of the Lord means the provision of God, and that that's what I want to trust in. But I also want to learn from the children of Israel that you can miss it. You can miss it. And without being uh, over uh, critical of older generations, what if, what if there's something that they missed that we now have an opportunity to pick up? And I suppose the challenge with that is what if, what if we miss it? What if we don't allow our minds to be renewed? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Good old King James Version, right? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you don't think like a son, you won't live like one. If you don't think like a daughter of the king, you won't live like one. You'll resort to good old Northern Ireland, slave mentality, feeling shame and condemnation and fear, and always afraid that you're going to do something wrong. And if you do, God can't wait to show you the consequence of that because that's what he gets a kick out of, making you feel like you're learning something from him. And that's not God. And uh, when people, so, so when people sometimes say things like, you know, I don't know if I believe in God, and you ask them what kind of God you believe in, and sometimes it's easy to say, I don't know if I do either, actually. Because <clears throat> we need, by the Spirit of God, our minds to be renewed for a proper revelation of who God is. And I think that's what he wants us to, to learn. And just love that song Catherine was leading us this morning. You know, 
that, you know, I love that song, Good, Good Father, anyway, but I just love that refrain, you know, you're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways. Can you trust your circumstances and situations into the perfection of the goodness of God, which is revealed in his glory, even in the desert? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one more passage, and then I'm going to invite a few people to come and share a few things that God's been doing. And I'm going to jump to the New Testament now, and uh, just helps frame a little bit more of just what I have been saying already. This was Paul speaking to the Corinthians who were, like, were full of kind of like people who thought they knew lots of stuff and kind of human wisdom and all of that. And this is, uh, this is what Paul says. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in, tremb- in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that, you, uh, so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but in God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all these things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. This is, the whole thing is obviously emphasizing the role of the Holy Spirit, but listen to this. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. We need to learn how to explain what God's doing in the Spirit with words that he gives us to articulate the season and the place he's leading us into. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all these things, but such a person is not subject to mere human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct them? But we have the mind of Christ. That is like absolutely, unbelievably stunning, head-wracking, oh my goodness. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We, like When you just sort of like sit and think about that for a moment, like me, like I'm just like a, some kind of young country boy from Lurgan, right? And I have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And so this morning, we want to we wanna be a people that discern the mind of Christ. And the way that we discern the mind of Christ <clears throat> is not by one preacher standing up. Jesus didn't say, right, see Peter or James, they're top dog. Just listen to everything they say. Jesus said, you're all my friends. Work it out, kind of thing. Work it out between us. As the spirit of truth comes upon you and discern my mind, because God wants to give us uh, a sanctified mind. All right? 
So I want us to continue to do that and kind of catch up in our mindset with what the Lord's doing. I'm going to ask the, the three or four people I just would love to share this morning. And then we're going to just worship again as we finish. I'm going to ask Chris to come. This is a mixture of some things that God has been doing in people's lives and some things that God is saying through people. And uh, so just uh, I'm going to ask a few people to do that, all right? Go for it. Chris. Thanks, Alan. So um, just before Christmas, I was I was up here talking about what all had been going on in my life, and it's I suppose it's a great update from that. Um, we had a, a speaker um, in Ignite on Monday night. David Leg um, was talking about barriers to blessing, and he ended with corporate prayer. And as part of that, um, I could feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to do something about that. So I went up afterwards and got prayer with with David. And uh, uh, the most marvelous thing happened, I, I actually received healing. So if you recall, um, I have been to see four consultants in this last two years uh, relating to my stomach and lung problems. Couldn't get an answer. Uh, and that was until God stepped in. And uh, through, through this whole thing, I can now look back and see that God's been speaking to me in, in, in wonderful ways. So. An example of that was he, he reminded me of a memory I, I have of, of, of seeing my father, and I also had a picture of my grandfather in illness. He also signaled to me to make verses stand out in Exodus 20 and Exodus 34 to say the iniquity of, of the father will be visited to the, the sons of the third and fourth generation. So God is really saying that there's a problem here. And in, in, in my mind, I had also thought it was physical. So I, I'm an engineer. I, I want to work things out. I want to get to the root cause. So I, I treated it like that. So I, any plausible avenue, I was going down to physically figure out what was wrong with my body. And until until I let go of that and handed it over to God, I didn't start receiving answers. So the, the end of it all, the answer was spiritual. God said there was a, a problem with your spirit. And so when, when, when David prayed over me on Monday night, I had a release, basically. I, I was coughing out a, a bad spirit. And I'm, I, can, I can now tell you that I, I have stopped using my inhalers. My stomach is a whole lot better. And I, I, I feel like, like a different man altogether. I feel, I feel, feel incredible. So I, I can't tell you. I, I still find it hard to articulate the goodness of God and, and what, what he can do for you. It is, it's just unbelievable. And, and with that, I just want to want to thank friends that have been listening to me complain um, about my health, my family as well, uh, my wife. She so most people that hear the complaints in small doses. My wife had to listen to it in large doses. Uh, to the leadership here as well for praying over me, stepping out in faith, giving me prophetic words, um, all sorts of things, amazing things. I just I just can't really tell you how great this is. Uh, and also just give, give thanks to God um, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. You know, I can really see how they, they've worked worked into our, um, not not only my life but the wife of my uh, life of my wife and um, and my family. And um, just just to finish with, like I I get real joy now reading Isaiah sixty one um, and it's talking about Jesus saying, proclaiming freedom uh, to the captives. And that, that, that joy is mine at the moment. I just, just can't tell you how good God is. Brilliant. Well done, Chris. Well done. Good stuff. Uh, just on that, you know, if you want to talk to Chris a little bit more about it, I know we didn't want to go into all the details today, but just spirit taught realities, spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. And, and, and as we prayed and as uh, Chris prayed on, on Monday night, 
you know, the Holy Spirit really kind of identified something that was quite specific, you know, uh, that had, as he um, referred to there, kind of a, a, a sort of generational kind of implication. And God really did a beautiful thing. And um, and so that's what happens when the Holy Spirit's here. Yeah. And the human wisdom, it sounds like nonsense. It sounds like nonsense, right? But the Spirit identified something, and it was wonderful just to see somebody set free. So well done, Chris. Thanks for sharing and being brave. Trev, will you come um, and... Give Trevor a round of applause. I have nothing really to say, in like Chris, of something physically happening to me or anything, but uh, it's really in relation to what Alan has been talking about over the last four weeks uh, when he started this current series, and build an altar. And, you know, it struck me, at, Alan mentioned that they built an altar every six steps. So it's maybe built more than one altar. And I was considering this and realized that it was quite an altar for me in coming to this church at the beginning. And probably for a whole lot of you to leave behind everything that you'd known before and to make that fresh start and say, right, this is where we are now. And so in that then there's pitch a tent and that's where I've pitched my tent among, among you, pitched my tent among these people and dig a well. Well, I've done a whole lot of digging over the last year and, uh, the more I've dug, the the fresher the water seems to be. And the more I've wanted to quench my thirst with that water and dig deeper and invite other people to that well. And just say, wow, look, look what God's doing. Look what God can do. Look how God, only God, can satisfy. But uh, that first week when Alan was talking about it, the, the, the song that, that came to my mind was the song that was sang last week as the altar call was made. I lay it all down again. I lay it all down again just to hear that you're my friend. And uh, I'm saying there about you, you hear preaching and you go in by Tuesday, you forgot all about it. But it's different when that what you're hearing seems to apply to your life and seems to explain some of your life. You know, hindsight can be a great thing. We'll look back and we'll see what God has been doing very often and we can look forward and see what he's going to do. But it was, it, I was sort of troubled by that. I lay it all down again. Well, Lord, what, what do you want me to lay down? And it sort of reminded me then of something else that happened back sort of last summer where I'd heard Phil preaching and talking. And he, he mentioned, uh, he was talking about David and Jonathan, and he talked about Jonathan um, giving to David his, his, his sword and his bow and his, his robe and his belt. And basically he gave David all his stuff everything that made him who he was. And uh, I realized that, you know, as I look back over my Christian experience, we, we feel that we have to lay stuff down, but it always seems to be the, the sin kind of stuff, the good stuff we we'll hold on to. And I realized, Lord, you're, you're asking me to, to, to lay down everything that has been my, my experience, my credentials, my qualifications, just to, to leave all that, to give it away. And that's another story for another day, but to lay that down just to, just to be me and not to be the stuff that I thought made me me. And then there was just me left coming to the meetings, worshiping God, digging that well, drinking from that well. And then we come to this current series again and it was like, I'm saying, lay it all down again. Well, what, Lord? 
And then I was reminded of the, the old Robin Mark song, all of my ambitions, hopes, and plans. So I've laid aside my stuff, and then I'm realizing, Lord, you're asking me to put on the altar what's, what's in here and what's in here. And you're basically calling me, you know, Jesus bids us to come and die. And Alan was talking about the, the threshing floor that David bought, that I won't give to God that which costs me nothing. Well, when you have to lay down yourself, that costs you everything. And uh, I then was sensing that, Lord, I have to give down all that I hope to be, all that I've aspired to be, all that I've dreamt about, because it's all about you. It's all about Jesus. And so much of our Christian lives can become about us and about what we get out of church and what we do in church and what positions we hold and, and uh, what roles we have and what we enjoy doing and it becomes our social life and it all becomes a lot about us. And Jesus was saying, lay that down too. Build another altar, give that away. And so last week, I, uh, I just knew while Alan was preaching, I just knew, you know, I ain't gonna have to respond to this before I even I knew that he was gonna ask for a response. And then as soon as he started talking about a response, and you, you know, don't be hanging about and waiting on anybody else getting up there just to, you know, the old thing. You, you wait to see for someone else to make the first move so that you don't look like a wally coming on your own. But uh, I knew I hadn't to worry about any of that, just as soon as the offer's made, get there. And, uh, you know, the lyrics of the song seemed to speak to me. I thought of a Cast and Crown song. And it, said, uh, it says in the song, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. And then that related to a lot of what Alan had been talking about, the, the, the temple being built on the threshing floor that David bought. And uh, the, if you look back, all, I think just about every reference to either building the temple and then to the temple around the time it was built. If the reference was made by the Lord, it was about building a house for my name. And if it was someone else talking about it, they were talking about building a temple for your name, building a house for your name. And I thought about how so many buildings in this world are monuments to people's names. You'll find wee stones and wee plaques outside them of who cut the tape and who opened the door and who is remembered by that building, and you'll even have things, memorial halls, and, and all sorts of things like that. But I thought, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if anyone remembers me. It's all about Jesus. His is the only name that will stand forever. So he's bid me come and die as he's bidden you come and die. Live for him. Make sure it's about him. And when that's the case, then it doesn't matter where we go or what we do. A tent means nomadic people. You camp somewhere for a while. We've camped here for a year, and we're going to camp somewhere else for a wee while. Keep digging in that well, and you'll find that only there your thirst will be satisfied. Thanks. Thank Brilliant. Thanks, Trevor. <clears throat> it's probably worthwhile saying. There's some you don't know, I might not know, but yeah. Trevor and Vivian, you know, ministered for years, led churches and stuff like that. And so just to have them here and you know, Trevor's never asked for anything. He's never asked to preach. He's never pushed an agenda. 
And um, to see that kind of a heart and spirit just willing to put their heart into exactly what the Lord wants to do is just a beautiful thing to lay it all on the altar. So thank you, Trevor. It was great. Thanks. This is Lynn. Sorry to make you stand there, Lynn. Go for it. Uh, I think to explain a wee bit of what God's been doing in my life now, I need to explain a bit of what he has done before, if that's okay. It might take a wee bit longer, but I'll go quick. So until a few months ago, um, Johnny, myself, and our kids were part of St. Saviour's Church in Darlingstown. So you might ask, why Darlingstown? Well, I had been youth worker in St. Mark's Church in Portadown and would also been involved quite a lot with children and young people from different sides of the community in Portadown. After my role finished in St. Mark's, we sensed that God was calling us to Dublin. So I applied for a job with Dublin Christian Mission and was successful. And so Johnny and I together decided that God was bringing us to Dublin. But what happened was uh, we ended up going to Dublin for two weeks because we desperately missed um, Portadown. And more than that, the missionaries that we were going to replace in Dublin, people there were grieving them leaving. People at home were grieving us leaving. So in some ways, it just, not to over-spiritualize it, it just didn't seem to make sense. But God definitely brought us there for that time. And so when we came home, we had really lost everything, um, house, car, um, and it was basically, it was a wee bit embarrassing as well, if I'm honest, because um, we were meant to be away, and all of a sudden we were back. Um, and basically, a lovely, wise Christian couple took us under their wing, and we became part of a small group where we felt really safe. And long story short, they are part of Darlingstown Church, and the rector and his wife were also part of that church. So it just felt like a safe place to go. But that wise Christian couple sensed that we were going there for a couple of years just to receive and be sent out again. When Johnny and I were first married, which is nearly 10 years ago now, quite scary, uh, we lived in Gervaki. I had lived there for five years and... Um, it's funny how I'm even married because I remember lying on my bedroom floor in the wee house in Gravaki, which was an absolute dive. People were so worried about Ruth and I, but we thought it was an absolute palace. But I remember lying on my bedroom floor, literally face down, just devoting my life to God as a life of singleness for him because honestly thought, what man is ever going to want to do this? Um, but that was on the Tuesday. And on the Friday, this guy arrived at Kids Club and uh, our eyes met, and that was it. Um, and that uh, kids club in Ballyoran just basically started out of the fact that Ruth and I didn't know what to do with all the children who were coming to our house, so we had to do something. Living on Gravaki came out of a challenge for me when I was working for Drumgore Detached Youth Work Project, and I remember just thinking, you know, how much more of an impact could you make if you actually made your home amongst people and shared your life with them? And after that thought, it was at Eden Derry CE, which probably has meant a lot to people here before. Um, I just was crying and Gilly came over and said, what's wrong? And I told him and he said, Lynn, you're not going to believe it. God is stirring another girl's heart here. And uh, it's funny because... He, had said, he said Ruth's name, and I only knew her name because we fancied the same fella at the time. And I thought, oh, no, disaster. Like, this is a disaster. Because, like, she was my competition. And, uh. and then we ended up talking, and 
we just decided that we headed off straight away and we just decided that we were going to move in. So we went and got the house and that was it. And God was so faithful and some incredible things happened, some very, very painful things too. And honestly, we could write a book about those years, um, but the bottom line is he is faithful and it's never, ever sacrifice, but it's always privilege. And um, after five years of Johnny and I, so met Johnny, we got married and we then lived there for five years. Um, and so for a few reasons, we just ended up um, having, to, having to move on. We just felt it was better for us. I suppose the biggest thing was lack of boundaries, really. But you see, we moved on, but our hearts didn't ever. Um, and I suppose I could count on the one hand uh, the number of days that I haven't driven the Gravaki Road or walked it or visited uh, someone. Um, when I was youth worker in St. Mark's, we were having a mission in 2009. And just like the years in Gravaki where I had found myself sitting outside Ballyorn Primary School and praying and dreaming and wondering, there didn't I find myself now outside um, the Brownstown Community Centre and I thought, oh no. And I was just staring and praying and dreaming and wondering again. And now this is our 10th year of that kids club. And I guess, you know, when we started the deep, which is the youth, that came out of the kids club for the, the children who have now come through and our junior leaders. Um, that's when God really began stirring Johnny and I heard about Emmanuel Church because we were using the building here um, for those young people. And we just began thinking of who could come to church and imagining these young people all connected in. And on just Friday past there, uh, with those young people using the building. You know, for some of these young people, it looks like, you know, daddy's in prison. Daddy died last year. Um, I'm very badly bullied in school. And for me, that's always a reminder of what it's about. And it's a huge privilege. And again, not to over-spiritualize why we're here, when our wee son Samuel was born, he's six months old, we've got a four-year-old as well. Darlingstown Church is at half nine. And it just wasn't happening. <laughs> and uh, it got to one Sunday morning and Johnny and I woke up in bed and he poked me. I was like, Lynn, we'll have to go to church today. I was like, Johnny, seriously, it's like nine o'clock. It's not happening again. Um, and honestly, when we got dressed, we didn't know where we were going. And then Johnny said, let's just go to Emmanuel. Um, but like I said, our hearts and, we, and our mission is very much still in Portadown. For Johnny, it felt like home the very first week. I took a wee bit more convincing because I'm female and I had made so many friends in Darlingstown. But I prayed for that confirmation. And one week, this man walked across the back. And it was a man who, um, you know, it was quite obvious that he had a bit of alcohol on him. And I recognized him straight away because he's a man who had come to our house in Gravaki when my friend and I lived there even before I met Johnny. And he walked across the back. I was standing with Samuel and he hadn't seen me in years. And he, he just walked across to use the toilet and was walking back, caught my eye and started crying. And I said, oh, Gurney, I'm not that ugly, you know. And uh, he said, um, it was just because he had basically seen me and he had seen Samuel. And uh, that was a big thing for him. I'm nearly finished. Um, and then we had a coffee morning fundraiser here for... Brownstown Kids Club and that was just one of those mornings that I can't really explain because there was young people from 
Garvaki, young people from Brownstown and their families all here and some of them are sitting on those sofas at the back and I remember thinking this is what it's about. Um, and then at the worship night when we were all holding hands and singing yes and amen for me that was very significant along with the word Alan gave. And that night I just found myself in the car park in Gravaki Road until about two or three I think it was in the morning um, just really crying out to God again and having my heart broken. So it's really exciting. We feel, Johnny and I both, that our mission field links the church again and everything feels um, so connected. And it's lovely that Darlingstown links in, but that's what God does. Because in 2006, um, Bishop Fanta Clark was speaking at the Portadown Convention and Gilly thought it was a good idea to invite him to Ruth and I's house. And we completely panicked because the bishop was coming for tea. And we were like spent about a week organizing the menu and all. Um, but you know what? Years later, that's the small group Johnny and I are part of. And that's the couple who took us in and took us under their wing. And we feel really blessed. And the biggest thing for us is that Darlingstein have sent us out. And they know that it's right. Fanta and Helen know that it's right. Simon and Zara know that it's right. And they've just really spoken over us. And I just want to share a few verses from Second Samuel 23, 11 to 12. Next to him was Shammah, son of Aji the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took a stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. And I just think, you know, that was a field of lentils, and he took a stand in that field. And maybe how much more are we to take a stand in the middle of this field, in the middle of this town? And for me, God speaks through music, and this is a song, The Goodness of God. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And you know, the reality is that many of my precious friends in this town um, can't yet sing that because they don't know Jesus. And therefore they can't belt that song out in the car or in the shower because it doesn't mean much to them. And my heart breaks and it yearns to see them come to know him and experience his amazing grace and transforming hope. So Johnny and I would like to thank you all just for the amazing welcome in this church. Um, we're very excited about what God's doing and what he's going to do. And it's just good to be home. Well done. So I wanted them to share because they've obviously come into the, the family here um, in more recent months. And it's just wonderful that we can see how God is converging different stories together for a, for a time such as this. Uh, one, one more story and then we're going to just worship again to close. Uh, well, it's, it's more a word that Joyce uh, felt that she was carrying. Come on ahead, Joyce. And um, it's been amazing to have um, Joyce part of our church here from the beginning as well. And... Um, she uh, had a really interesting picture, I think, that we should listen to and respond to. It kind of sums up a bit some pieces of what's already been said. So go. I will hold the mic, don't worry. I'll come down beside you here. I'm speaking in trembling here. Um, on the Saturday morning after our worship time on the Friday, um, I woke up and I was literally talking to the Lord about the night before. And I was given a picture and it was an overnight, if you like, it was an overview of the, of the um, prayer time. 
And I saw myself back here in this room, but I wasn't in, on the floor. I was, I was raised up um, looking over, um, over, and the roof of the building literally just disappeared. And this banner came over us and it said in beautiful gold writing, rest from labor. And as I was looking at that, um, the worship, we, uh, we were being led in worship. And the gold writing, rest from labor, started to just fall from the banner. And um, it was falling on people who were worshiping. And people were in different positions. They were standing, kneeling, sitting. And a lot, uh, I realized, had their hands outstretched or just out, um, or, or just open. And as the gold was falling, wow, um, there was an infilling of grace being received as people were reaching out to God. And I saw the words anxiety and um, hidden insecurities coming up from these people. And they were literally, this stuff the, that had affected them from anxiety and hidden insecurities was literally leaving from their fingers. Um, and then I saw Katie and she stood and there were, she started to read from 1 Samuel and there was such a light on her. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of God's smile on her. And she was declaring that we should raise our Ebenezer and I felt that God was saying, yes, as a body, raise your Ebenezer and declare, thus far the Lord has helped us. And after much digging, we have done a time of clearing out. We are in a, tra a, a time of transition, and which is taking us onto a new level. And I felt God was saying with a heart of thankfulness and praise, he is transforming us as we go into the secret place and seek him for our own heart and then come back as the family of God. He is just knitting and transforming us together. Ian had a picture of a digger and he talked about a big bucket that was used to clear the land. And But God is changing the size of the bucket, and that is to equip us, to take us deeper into him. And I felt he was saying that ministries are being born, they are being birthed in the labor, and we are gaining new tools, new skills to take us into a deeper level of what he's got for us. I felt that this was a time to rest and reflect on the goodness of God, knowing that it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Well done. Brilliant. <clears throat> so maybe Catherine and the band would come. Let me just um, just pull a few threads together here before we, we worship together to close. <clears throat> uh, I, I wanted to hear some stories today. First of all, to build some faith. But secondly, for us to, um, to become people who... Um, explain spiritual realities with spirit-taught words, okay? That doesn't mean that you have to super-spiritualize things. Spirit-taught words aren't necessarily big, long words that are impressive, right? It's not hyperbole. It's just insight. It doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come by reading a dictionary. It comes by being people of the spirit. 
in learning what and how the Holy Spirit leads. Um, those who are led by the Spirit, the Bible tells us in Romans, they are the sons and the daughters of God. And so it's, it's really, really important, I think, for us to allow the Lord to renew our minds, to have a, a sanctified imagination, to start to allow the dreams and the way heaven sees things, the dimension that God sees things, to enter into more of that reality, and to allow ourselves to walk into that freedom, right? Not to grumble necessarily about the past and how that would be so much better, but to walk into the beauty of the fullness of who God is. And as so, uh, as as we finish, just want I want to challenge us slightly and challenge myself that as we as we walk into new realities, we might need to change some things. We might need to change our language. We might need to stop using words that uh, instigate fear. Stop using words that talk yourself down because you talk yourself down in the order and in, in the hope that somebody might talk you up usually. Isn't that right? It's that kind of false humility thing we do here. Well, I'm not really good at that in the hope that somebody might say that you are. You know, when God said like when you were born in your mother's womb that you were unique in his and made in his image and you might have to stop. You might have to stop that victim kind of language. You might have to stop that language that everything is against you. And you might have to stop some of that in order to walk into the freedom and reality. That's not to say there's not a space for lament and for a good gurn when we need one before the Lord. That's all part of prayer. But we have to sometimes move in and stand on the promises of God if we want to embrace the freedom that he wants to give. And I thought Joyce's picture was really, really powerful there about uh, anxiety and hidden insecurities that almost as we feel and become aware and have revelation of the presence of God, that there would be a deep kind of healing inside us that would touch our hearts and our souls in a way, but our minds need to kind of speed up with that. And so in essence, what I've been really trying to say this morning is that sometimes our circumstances and our reality change quicker than our mindsets do. And we'll have to do some work and we'll have to be prepared to do some work. And the people that shared today, what I'm really encouraged by is they've been prepared to do some work with their mindsets, with ways that they've done things before. Because difficulties will arise when we attempt to live into a new reality with the mindset of the old one. And I just want to, I, I want to almost be as strong if I can today as to prophesy that we're moving as a people into a new place, I think, a new season. And that doesn't mean it's all going to be, you know, just easy and ripe pickings. I'm not trying to dangle a carrot in front of you. I just do believe that there is a theology of more, right? And I think that's very biblical. And Chris said that at the end, you know, it's from precept upon precept. It's line upon line. It's from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Where there was grace for the last season, there's new grace for this season, right? It's it's not just a charismatic more, more, more thing, right? It's actually a deeply theological thing that biblically we have a principle for that we can step into the more that God wants us to, and the more of the healing and the freedom that he wants to bring to us. But we want to change and reconstruct and renew our minds so that we can live into that season and really be a promised people and not miss the inheritance that God has for us. I am sort of um, a bit old school when it comes to salvation uh, in that if somebody I think has really given their lives to Jesus has deeply experienced the regeneration of the Lord in their lives, then I personally don't think that they can be lost, okay? But do I think people can lose their inheritance? Yes, yes. Yes, they can, they can lose it. Or they cannot 
experience the fullness of it at the least. And um, and that's what our deepest prayer is, that we wouldn't miss that. So would you stand with me? And let's um, just respond to what God's been doing and saying. Um, let's um, let's uh, worship together. Catherine, the guys will lead us here. And then we'll um, pray and close.